Hey, everyone. Welcome to this special episode of the All About Nothing podcast. I am Barrett Gruber. Firstly, I want to say this episode was an amazing opportunity for me and the show to sit down with presidential candidate, author, and social activist, Miss Marianne Williamson. I was humbled to be able to speak with her, and I enjoyed the conversation immensely. But before we get to the interview, I want to take a moment to acknowledge and reflect on Juneteenth, celebrated last week. I appreciate that the end of this terrible blight on the history of these United States has a day of recognition that gives us the opportunity to recognize the impact that slavery and racism had and continues to have. Regardless of your politics, I find it difficult to believe that there are many more than a few that believe that slavery should still exist, despite the evidence that our prison system is simply an evolution of slavery, that our so-called criminal rehabilitation system run by corporations with little to no federal or state regulations isn't just modern-day slavery, using law enforcement and the justice system similar to how bands of white police would round up escaped and freed blacks. Slavery isn't gone. Slavery exists here, in the United States, shrouded under the blind eye of justice. I am open to the debate about slavery now versus slavery then. Federally recognizing Juneteenth is one step down the long road to creating a truly balanced system of equality. But it isn't enough. And it's going to take everyone increasing their knowledge by reading and talking. Because only through education can we truly understand where we were and escape the pitfalls in our path to freedom and equality. Lastly, this episode publishes on June 26th, and it's the last week to vote in the Best of Columbia 2023, hosted by the Post and Courier Free Times. The All About Nothing podcast. Myself, as well as Trent and Zach, are humbled by the number of you that have voted for us. And as of this recording, I truly don't know how many there are. But I may never know. But we are humbled by all of the support. Being nominated is an honor, and we don't take that lightly. So for Zach, for Trent and myself, as well as everyone that has been a contributor on this show, thank you for supporting this show. Thank you for listening and sharing. Thank you for all of your financial contributions. Please visit our webpage, theallaboutnothing.com, and consider becoming a member through a support link there, as we have several tiers available that give you early access to shows before they publish, including this one. So thank you very much for all of your support. The All About Nothing podcast is proud to support the 2023 Soda City Comic Con. August 19th and 20th, join thousands of fans of fantasy, comics, science fiction, anime, classic games, pinball, and much, much more as they descend upon the Columbia Metropolitan Convention Center. One day and two day tickets are now available for your chance to meet Sean Astin. As well, you can meet actor 90s heartthrob Vanessa Angel. Plus, you'll meet voice actors from your favorite anime series like Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, One Piece, and many more. Visit theallaboutnothing.com for links to more information and ticket information. The 2023 Soda City Comic Con is a premier pop culture experience in South Carolina. Get your tickets now. Visit theallaboutnothing.com for details. The presenting sponsor of this week's episode of the All About Nothing podcast is CompQuest. Whether you're in need of computer repair, custom-built systems, or system upgrades, you can count on CompQuest. I know in my past I've had several computers that have been built by CompQuest, and I am still pleased with them. It's been a couple years, but they run great. In fact, they have the ability to be upgraded, and I can count on CompQuest to take care of that if necessary. Whether you're a power user or just looking to surf the internet, whether you're looking to upgrade your office, if you work from home and you need to build a PC to maintain that office or that workload, you can count on CompQuest. For more information, you can visit comp-quest.com. 
That's C-O-M-P-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. They have all the solutions you need. Give them a call, 770-676-CUDA. That's 770-676-2832. Or again, you can get more information by visiting compquest.com. C-O-M-P-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. The All About Nothing podcast may have content and language that isn't appropriate for some. Listener discretion is advised. With Zach King, Trent Clark, and Bear Gruber, this is the All About Nothing podcast. All right, welcome back to the All About Nothing podcast. I am Bear Gruber, and this week I am joined by progressive political activist and spiritual thought leader, as well as author of 15 books, four of which have been on the New York Times number one bestseller list, including uh, A Return to Love, The Healing of America, and Healing the Soul of America, published by Simon & Schuster. You've seen her on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, and NBC News, as well as many others. She's frequently appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show, where she was known as Oprah's spiritual advisor, as well as appearances on many popular podcasts and featured in many published articles. And now she's campaigning for the Democratic nomination for the 2024 presidential election. Please welcome to the show, Miss Marianne Williamson. Miss Williamson, thank you very much for being here. I'm very excited to get to speak with you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you're currently in London where, uh, we discussed before the show that it is quite late and you have quite a, I guess you have, you have more to come after this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you launched your campaign back on March 4th as a Democrat. And I imagine this question probably won't come as a big surprise because I've heard it asked before. And I want to give you the opportunity to explain to our listeners as well. Running for president in the same party against an incumbent who is already seeking a second term as Democrat. What made you decide that now is the right time to run for president? My decision had nothing to do with Joe Biden. My decision has to do with the United States of America, what I feel needs to be said and what I feel needs to be done. And I don't think we have time to wait. You know, most progressive voices, certainly those, well, all of them really, actually, certainly those within the, you know, within the machinery, they're all waiting for 2028 because you know, the establishment elite has determined that it's Biden. I don't think we have time. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Um, and it's, it's not that I think that, that Biden is a bad president, but I don't think that the United States as a whole uh, can continue down the same the same path controlled by capitalists. And, and I, I, I just feel like there's not going to be any progressive steps forward as long as we don't have uh, executive representation that is going to do what's necessary in order to uh, push the country forward, to, to, to make us uh, more of a representation of the people and a government that is going to actually uh, handle the issues that the people of America need. Uh, you recently spoke at the National Press Conference in Washington about your economic bill of rights titled A Vision for a Moral Economy. Uh, and one of the things I really enjoyed about that was you quoted you quoted Gandhi, and I've said it before on this podcast, but uh, the, the idea of economics as a, viable sci- as a viable science is one of the greatest evils foisted in the human mind. And economics in the United States is often measured by stock numbers or it's measured in unemployment numbers or the Friday morning job numbers, that sort of thing. Uh, but as you've stated, this isn't an accurate measure of, of how we're all doing in the country. 
um, one of your campaign focuses is this economic bill of rights and in your words, can you tell us what the problem is and, and how the Williamson administration will address the problems, uh, with how this American economy isn't accounting for the hundreds of millions of people that aren't seeing this, this good economy. Well, back, some people say it started in the 70s. Some people say it started with Ronald Reagan in the 80s. It's the idea of trickle-down economics, neoliberal economics theory, hypercapitalism, really doesn't matter so much what you call it. It's the idea that short-term profits for huge corporate entities become your governing principle. They become mm-hmm. your bottom line, as opposed to the safety and the health and the well-being of the American people and the planet on which we live. So there has been this massive transfer of wealth to the tune of about $50 trillion over the last 50 years into the hands of 1% of Americans. And Americans were sold this unbelievable bill of goods, trickle-down economics, it was called. It was the idea that if the only responsibility of the company is the fiduciary responsibility to its stockholders then that would be good, see, because the CEOs and the stockholders would make a lot of money, but that was wonderful because they would create jobs. So all of that money would trickle down and lift all boats. Well, after 40 years, the jury is in. It not only did not lift all boats, it left millions and millions of millions of people without even a life vest because If you only serve the stockholders, but then at the expense of all the other stakeholders, the workers, the environment, the community, the children, the animal, the safety, the environment, the whole thing, what you've got is a small group of people who get a lot of money and everybody else living in a state of survival on some level. Yeah. Basically what we have, we have an economy where 20% of Americans live pretty well within this 20%. But that 20%, it's surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. Seventy um, percent of people in a recent uh, CNBC report said that they live with constant economic stress. Now it's interesting because everybody talks about the mental health crisis. The mental health crisis. It is absurd to talk about the mental health crisis without acknowledging the role that economic anxiety plays. During the 1970s, the average American worker could afford a home could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, Mm -hmm. could afford to, uh, for one uh, parent to stay home with the kids if they wanted to, and could afford to send their children to college. Yeah. But the middle class has been completely decimated by this hyper-capitalistic, and I think people need to make a distinction between capitalism and hyper-capitalism. We don't have to have the argument about whether or not, you know, some people say it's inherent in capitalism. I actually don't. I'm fine with a hybrid economy. You know, I don't, I need, I don't, I don't need that for my own conceptualization. Sure. But capitalism without any soul, with any moral, without any moral center, violates even Adam Smith's precepts. Adam Smith, the main articulator of free market capitalism, said it cannot exist outside an ethical center. And that is what has happened. Yeah. And we are now ruled by this corporate aristocracy. And it's no different than the landed gentry that we repudiated in 1776. We don't have universal health insurance like every other advanced democracy because of the greed of the insurance companies. Right. We have people um, uh, 
rationing their insulin because of the greed of the pharmaceutical companies. We have toxins in our food, in our air, oh, yeah. uh, in our ground, in our water because of chemical companies and food companies and agricultural companies. We have guns on our streets in the most absurd ways because of gun manufacturers. We have we're ramping up fossil fuel extraction at the exact time we should be ramping it down because of the undue influence of big oil. And we have foreign policy uh, and a, a, that is unduly influenced by and a gargantuan and bloated and price gouged military budget because of the undue influence of defense contractors. When is this going to stop? And what many of us now realize is that the status quo will not disrupt itself. That stuff that I just mentioned to you is baked into the cake. Yeah. That's why I'm running, because it's going to have to be someone from outside that system who just comes in and does what what, uh, she can to cut that cord. Yeah, I think I, 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 you mentioned that insurance is the greed of, of insurance and, and that greed is so ingrained into the lobbyists that then are continuing to funnel money into the campaigns of, of, of candidates and, and things like that. And it's something that we, we can't break out of unless there's someone willing to come in. And, you know, uh, I've, I've said before that I, I think one of the things that, that a president that could do to potentially break us of that is sign an executive. I know it'd get fought in the Supreme court or make it all the way to Supreme court, but to, to just sign an executive order that says that Medicare does no longer need the mandate that you'd be 65 years and older. And then bam, you have a public option that I guarantee you 70 to 80% of the country would sign up for because of the benefits. I worked for Medicare for almost 14 years. Uh, I worked in a provider service department and then I, then I supported the, the, the support, uh, the, I guess the departments that handled Medicare. Um, but, Medicare operates at between a less than 2% and, and less than 1% sometimes administration cost where every dollar that I pay into the insurance that, that my family has almost 50, I think it's between 50 and 70% of every dollar that goes into that insurance is paying for administrative costs. And then you have the, 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 the agreements between hospitals and insurance of how much they're going to charge for it, how much is going to be covered of it. And then what's left over gets written off. And and so now we have giant insurance companies that are getting these huge tax deductions on, on these made up numbers. It's uh, it's, it's, it's frightening how much, how little the citizens, the, the, the people that are actually paying into these systems have, any knowledge of, of what exactly it is that's going on behind the scenes. Um, sorry, go ahead. Well, we have one in four Americans who live with medical debt. Oh, yeah. We have we, an $88 billion debt. We have 18 million Americans who cannot afford to pay for their uh, prescriptions. People, as I said, rationing insulin. 68,000 people who die every year from lack of health care. And as I said before, every other advanced democracy has... Uh, universal health care. So people are made to believe that the reason we don't have it is because the situation is so complicated. And that's not why we don't have it. We don't have it because the situation is corrupt. We do not need that middleman of the insurance companies. I completely... The lobbyists that you were talking about are highly paid lobbyists. And uh, our legislators are visited by these lobbyists pretty much 
all day, every day. So yeah. it's not enough that they're just visited by us every two years in the voting booth or every four years. We, if, if this thing is going to change, it's going to take a political revolution, and we all have to be part of this. And we all have to not only vote in the primaries for a presidential candidate who would speak to it. Of course, Biden had said he'd speak to the uh, he he'd support a public option. Now he never mentions it and said that he would not he would veto a Medicare for all bill. And and um, Obama had originally said that he was uh, for universal health care. And then once he got in, he told congressional candidates he would not come campaign for them if they even mentioned the public option. Wow. Clearly, these guys got in and the insurance company said, you can go this far and no further. Yeah. One thing you have to say about about Bill Clinton, he did try on the universal health care. He and Hillary really did try on universal health care. Yeah, I I, it's it. I I am I am not only uncomfortable with insurance, health care insurance here in the United States, but I'm also uncomfortable with how health care is handled in general. Uh, which is this is this is one of your your campaign's uh, big issues is um, am of the belief that healthcare isn't in the United States healthcare is basically a uh, we 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 attack we we I guess we attack the symptoms we we if if there's a problem then there is a uh, a solution to it through the healthcare system but there's nothing there's there's very little in our healthcare system that works to promote uh the uh, i'm 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 at a loss for words but it's the uh the idea that you prevent it's preventative health care yeah. so you- if, yeah if somebody goes to my website at marianne2024.com you'll see what's called the whole health plan right what you're referring to there of course is that we have more of us of a sickness care system than a health care system we just wait till people get sick And then we argue over how we're going to treat them. What we really need to be doing is asking why are Americans, why do we have so much higher chronic illness than they do in other countries? And then that gets into our food policies, that gets into our chemical policies, it gets into our environmental policies. So my plan is, as you said, to proactively seek to create greater health in this country. We have neighborhoods that don't even have, there's, there's no access to um, fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, a lot of times, particularly with children, childhood obesity, the issue is not what it appears to be. The child is actually malnourished. So the, the body is continuing to try to get more calories to compensate for the fact that there's not healthy food. So you're absolutely right. We have to ha- change our thinking from uh, the paradigm of just trying to treat sickness and much deeper trying to create a more healthy society. And there are many things you could do about that. And that's my whole health plan certainly does. And I hope people will look at it. Well, I, I will say that, that you, you, you definitely appear to be uh, uh, living that, that, that idea of, because uh, you're, you're, you're 70 this year. Is that right? I am. I'm 70. I, if if I had not had if I had not searched that on the internet to see what your age was, I would not when when because uh, I don't know if you remember, but we met at the Democratic convention. I took a picture with you uh, at the Democratic yeah. convention in South Carolina here. Oh wow! And I, yeah, I, when you asked if I would be on your show, that's what yeah. right. Oh, it's nice to see you again. I I would never have guessed that you were seventy. It it because I mean it, you know it's. I, I, I turned 44 this year. So I feel like I look 
well into my 40s and you don't have to say anything i promise it's okay <laughs> but uh well i feel about you looking in your 40s the way i feel about you know there's nothing wrong with being in your 40s sure. wrong with being 70 you know i mean i think we have to so rethink um age i'm i was saying to my daughter because i'm in london right now where my daughter lives and she just had a child and that's why i'm here and i was saying to her the other day i said you know women are allowed to get older more here Interesting. Uh, Middle-aged and older women are not as invisible in Europe as they are in the United States. It's really interesting. Yeah, that that is interesting. Also, uh, congratulations on 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 the birth of your granddaughter. Thank uh, you. Gran- granddaughter, correct? I was daughter Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Oh goodness, I have I have a history with 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 Elizabeths. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, Elizabeth is a, a fantastic name. Uh, I have I have several friends. Their names are Elizabeth, and 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 family and friends that have named their daughters Elizabeth. It's it's uh, it's a great name. Um, but uh, and and one of the things I saw in uh, you tweeted uh, after your granddaughter was born was that um, the the relief of being in a hospital uh, and having medical care that there's no, you, you don't see anyone stressing about the idea of how is this going to get paid for with socialized medicine in, in, in the UK, uh, which I, I, it, the, I, it's, it's not like doctors aren't being paid. It's not like hospitals aren't getting paid under the socialized Medicare, uh, medicine, uh, and healthcare system. It's, it's the idea that this is, uh, I, this is one of the liberties I think that in the United States that is deserved. So life, liberty, and the uh, pursuit of happiness is, is, is ultimately one of the, one of the, the founding statements or the cornerstone of what the United States was supposed to represent and, or or what the the United States was supposed to be for the people. Because when we came from where we came from in England and other parts of Europe with monarchies and such, the monarchies were not, supportive of the people in history they the people were the support for the monarchy um but in under socialized healthcare and things like that it's 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 a complete role reversal where there's the recognition that in order to have a healthy population or a a a a well maintained or populate uh, just the population of the country being in good order that the government has certain duties in order to take care of. And I feel like we pay plenty of taxes and there is in my mind, no reason why our government can't uphold their end of uh, allowing people to have uh, the pursuit of happiness and, and health should be included in that life is a life should be uh, health should be included under life like that. It just feels like by default, that's where we should be. And in the United States, because of insurance companies and uh, private hospitals and things like that, we we just can't attain that until there's someone that breaks that pattern. It's the social contract itself has been broken. You know, Lincoln's term was that we would be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and that that would not perish from the earth. This goes back to why am I running? Why am I running now? Why is there a sense of urgency? There's a sense of urgency to me because it's perishing right now. 
in all the ways that you and I have spoken. We become a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. So at this point, the social contract, instead of it being that the peop- that the government is the advocate for the people, which was the whole idea of the founding of this country, the government now, in too many cases, chops wood and carries water for yeah. corporate oppressors. And they have become an oppressive element at this point. That's why it's called a corporatocracy. And in terms of those of us, for instance, running for the Democrat uh, as a Democrat, I grew up at a time when the Democratic Party was the unequivocal advocate for the people, particularly the working people of the United States. Now, too often, there's this kind of double advocacy. Well, we advocate for the people as long as it doesn't completely turn off our donors in the insurance industry or our donors in the defense industry, our donors in the pharmaceutical industries, our donors in the oil industry. And um, as you said, somebody's got to break that chain. It will not break itself. The status quo will not disrupt itself. So at this point, you know, the Republicans, in my mind, sort of represent this just nosedive for our democracy. But the democratic establishment, the corporatist establishment represents a kind of managed decline. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And it's, uh, I, I, I can say that in, in my political history, uh, when I became more active, uh, after 2010, I guess, um, I supported Bernie Sanders. Uh, I, I canvassed for him here in South Carolina. I phone bank, I, I had, 1200 hours of phone banking and had many great conversations with people on the phones talking, uh, Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, and what always seemed to come across was that they, most people don't want to pay more for the amount that we're getting. They don't want to pay more taxes and yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, we have people pay so much now. So if you have one in four Americans who are living with medical debt, if some, if, if I were to say to you, okay, you're going to pay 10 more dollars in taxes, but a hundred dollars less in healthcare costs, you come out ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think you're underselling it because, um, I have worked for large companies and I have worked for small companies. I've worked for insurance companies and I've worked for Medicare and I've worked for government entities. Uh, I think you're underselling it in the sense that uh, I worked for a small company where the uh, what I was spending just on the insurance premium alone out of my paycheck was around $24,000 a year. It was a small company. I get it. We had less than 100 employees, uh, but that... $24,000 a year was, if if there was a public option, I would absolutely be willing to pay, you know, uh, whatever it took to have a, a, a medical program or a medical insurance program that actually provided the service. Because even now, I, I have a much better insurance policy with, uh, or medical insurance through my benefits with where I work now. Uh, but I, I have to fight the insurance company on some things. They won't cover the, if, if it's medication for my wife or for my daughters. Uh, I've, I've had to go to the insurance company and say, look, this is ridiculous. This was covered when we were under a different insurance company. The diagnosis hasn't changed. The, the, the procedure code hasn't changed. Everything is identical. Why are you not covering it versus them? 
and you know it it takes uh it takes some fighting and and eventually i i i get my way uh but that doesn't work out for everyone i i i happen to be this is what's happening to people everybody's it's just wearing people down yeah People are just being worn down. Why should you have to fight? Why should you be having to fight for your medication for your children? It's ridiculous. It's not an insurance plan. And that's the thing. It's, it, it's not just people who lack insurance. It's the underinsurance. Yeah. You have people who, who can, their insurance will cover for them to go to the doctor, but the insurance won't pay for the treatment that the doctor is suggesting. You know, one doctor in Detroit told me, I used to tell people what I needed needed them to do. And they would say, what are the side effects? And now they say, how much would it cost? It, That's it's scary. Outrageous. And how many people are rationing their insulin? And, you know, you're, you're a man, you're you know, a strong guy, you're a working guy. You know how to fight for your wife and fight for your children. Think how many people, it would just be too hard. They just give up. Yeah, no, it, and and they don't even know how to get on the on the computer and go through and who you have to call and what you know. It's just it's just devastating and it's so immoral and it is so wrong. And you've got a president now who won't make it any better. No, so no, I, if if we are going to stand for something better, you know, I heard when I was in South Carolina at the convention, I heard. Uh, I heard uh, Jim Clyburn say, we need to tell everybody that we got insulin down to $35 for 65 years old and older. Donald Trump did that. Yeah. 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 That's that there were uh, sitting in that dinner, uh, a dinner, uh, sitting in the, uh, uh, the appetizer, uh, whatever, uh, and not to slight the Democratic Party in South Carolina, I get it. It's not really an election year for them, and it's not uh, you know they, they they were focused more on on their leadership. But uh, I I I found it difficult to follow along with everything, and I I don't dislike Jim Clyburn, uh, but I I I I had a difficult time following along with all of these things that were trophies for, for, for that, that he came up to make sure that everyone go out and say all of these things that Biden's done about the, the drug care, the, uh, uh, it, it was just, a, it was a, it was a, it was a long list of different Actually, things. I remember it was the, it was the $35 for insulin for people over 65 and, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, <clears throat> we cut child poverty in half. Okay. Yeah. Now let's talk about this. They cut it in half for six months. Yeah, that was it. So they had a child tax credit that cut it in half. And six months later, when it expired, they didn't permanentize it. Right. So we're supposed to go out and brag. First of all, if you can cut child poverty in half, you could eradicate child poverty. Yep. Okay. So that right there. And after six months, you don't permanentize it. But we're supposed to go brag about that and think that people are going to elect. It's just... Um, there was an opportunity to absolutely make the, the child tax credit permanent Absolutely. and it was it was it it was available the the democrats had control of the house and the senate at the time they could have they could have done it they could have pushed it through as a fiscal bill that uh that would not have required the houseman or the senate minority leader to have or stopped it from making it to the floor uh it could have been held up in the supreme court as just part as because the supreme court would have likely even under a conservative controlled supreme court they would have likely held it up under the idea that this is a tax uh 
and, and we didn't do it. And uh, it, it it's it's it like I said, it was difficult for me to sit there and listen to Jim Clyburn go through all of these things that we that that Democrats are supposed to go out and say, look, this is what Biden's doing. This is what Biden's done. This is what he's going to do. I, I, I don't hear anything about the legalization of marijuana or, or removing marijuana from the Schedule 1 narcotics list. And that's one of the things we need to do. I would deschedule it immediately. Yeah. And and my listeners appreciate that. Uh, we also let out of jail all the people who are in, the, in federal prison for marijuana. It's outrageous. I am. And, I am. And, and cut the record, you know, expunge the record. Yeah, I am absolutely in favor of that. If it was, if, if someone wasn't involved in a violent crime in with the uh, in, in in with a possession charge, then absolutely, I, I I think that this is a ridiculous thing. I mean, the only reason that that marijuana is on the Schedule One narcotics list now is because when Nixon was president, Cotton got into his pocket and said uh, that uh, anything having to do with uh, hemp or the byproducts of hemp should be illegal because hemp was undercutting what cotton was doing. And then cotton left the country for the most part. So well, it's- Nixon's whole thing about the drug war, he knew that we didn't have a drug problem in this country. He, he kind of made that up for political purposes and they all admitted yeah. later. Yeah. There wasn't even a problem. There was, you know, jazz musicians in Harlem used heroin. That was, it really wasn't a problem, you know? People get pred- people get prescribed basically heroin through through their doctors. It's just that it just happens to be ph- pharmaceutically controlled. Well, that's the the larger drug problem in this country is pharmaceutical drugs. Legal, yeah, the le- pharmaceutical companies are the biggest drug pushers at this point. Predatory drug pra- practices on the part of pharmaceutical companies. So. Um, and I know, I know we're, we're pressed on time as far as, uh, what's available, but, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about, and it's something I haven't heard you or, or many people actually discuss. So it could very likely be that I just missed it, uh, or, or such, um, in the United States. And, and we did discuss, uh, military a little bit. Um, it's military is an excruciatingly large part of the yearly budget. And I think. Uh, and my father would 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 beat me if he if I didn't ask this question. But uh, about twelve to fifteen percent of the annual federal budget is spent on defense and non-defense military spending, and this accounts for seven hundred and sixty-six billion dollars in in twenty twenty-two. And I'm I'm not of the mindset that we shouldn't have a defense budget. Uh, we should. The Department of Defense, I think, is is still the largest employer in the entire in the entire country. Uh, but our military actively defends and protects interests around the world. And those interests are in a lot of cases, corporate interests, corporations that through deductions and loopholes are, are, are able to reduce the cost of their protection through taxes. These corporations count on the defense of the United States, but are paying far less taxes than their share. Um, and when I pay my taxes, again, 12 to 15 cents of every dollar goes to the defense spending. 200 million taxpaying Americans that are proud to support our military, but that that military isn't always actively defending our freedom. Um, the reality is, is they are actively defending, defending the corporate interests of the United States. Um, I, I, I have this mindset that the United States, as far as defense spending, that, that there should be a, a, a some sort of a program to have, if, 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 our military is defending freedom. That's great. But of, of a defense of corporate interests, 
that there should be some sort of a tax code or or potentially looked into having corporations not be able to deduct taxes that are specific to that that sort of interest um and uh and, and you may not have an answer for this uh but i i i think i'd like to see some sort of move towards uh these larger companies your 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 disney's your uh, not to not to pick on anybody but general electric uh boeings and and things like that 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 if somehow military and defense spending was separated into being able to like a corporation would have to cover their percentage or we all paid the same percentage based on the value of what we have as far as property and things like that. And I, I, you know, general electric, you know, these, these huge companies in, in the United States that, that could potentially then if, if they weren't allowed to make those deductions, uh, that, 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 that we would potentially see, uh, a strong military, but a military that was able to hold those interests accountable. Well, the the companies that are uh, doing the most to transgress against our values when it comes to the military are Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and Raytheon. It's the defense contractors who are making out like bandits, literally making out like bandits. Uh, 60 Minutes recently uh, did an expose on the unbelievable price, price gouging. Um, and remember, the Pentagon isn't even audited. That's one of the first things I do as president is demand that there be an audit of every cent that the Pentagon spends. So we have at least 20% that should be off. I believe, as you said, there needs to be a strong military in the United States. But the way I look at it, I look at the military like I look at a surgeon. If uh, you need a surgery. Of course, you want to make sure you have the best surgeon, but a reasonable person tries to avoid surgery if at all possible. Now, we have something like 800 military installations around the world in 80 countries, and many of them are exactly what you just said. They have nothing to do with protecting the genuine national security of the United States. They're doing much more to protect these corporate interests that you were talking about. And I would argue, and I would assume that you would too, that this actually weakens our national security because it increases it increases resentment and anger of people around the world, as did the Iraq war, as did our staying in Afghanistan and being such a spectacular failure. So I think we need to, you know, I, th- I think no word has, no phrase has been used to manipulate us more than quote unquote national security. Sure. I think if we think of national security, we should think about the things you and I were talking about before that your, your health is secure. Your children's safety is secure. Your job uh, prospects are secure. Your ability to have how to uh, make enough money to live in a, in a decent house, those things are secure. So this whole national security veil of illusion that's been dropped over our eyes. I think when people say they support the military, we want to support the men and women who are literally are putting their, their lives on the line for our safety. But I think what even many of them are, are realizing now is how many of them have put their lives on the line. Not for us, not for our freedom, not for our democracy, but for exactly what you just said. This is why people talk about the military-industrial complex. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, once again, Democrat or Republican. You know, Biden, we now have an $858 billion. You know, one of the things that really upset me, it used to be that it was very accepted that no military person would be the head of the of um, 
the Secretary of Defense. Well, I think it was General Mattis that Trump brought in. So Biden just continued along that line. It was right. one of the many things where we thought he would reverse course. And not only was Lloyd Austin a general, Lloyd Austin was a board member at Raytheon. Yeah. Now, which makes it even more egregious, all the price gouging that is going on. Because if he's the head of Secretary of Defense, and under his watch, there's all this price gouging, well, wouldn't he be the one who would understand? So the whole thing is is, is deeply corrupt. And it's just one more area where, where we just have to call it like it is. And I think in terms of, you know, it's interesting running for president because there are so many things that people would say, oh, don't be that honest. Don't be that real. Don't be that blunt. No one will ever vote for you. Well, I think our only chance for, the, for our democracy is for someone to be that real and yeah. be that direct and be that blunt. And then it's up to the people whether or not the people say, you know what, that's exactly the kind of person we need to put in there. I'll tell you one other thing. In a weird, ironic way, I think that's what many people thought they were doing by putting in Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and, and I think you we were talking about Bernie before. I think Bernie would have beaten Donald Trump in 2016 because both Bernie and Trump were saying to people, your rage is legitimate. The system is rigged against you. The populist fervor that that spoke to was going to express itself mm -hmm. either with a progressive candidate or with an authoritarian one. And, uh, you know, the difference between Bernie and Trump was that Bernie meant it. I agree. He said those things because he meant it and he would have changed things as president. You know, Trump said it because it was his way to close the deal. Yeah. But that anger is still there. The rage is still there. And it's still legitimate. And I don't believe if the Democrats offer to the American people in 2024 a candidate who offers anything less than a fundamental economic reform, a fundamental economic U-turn, then I think it's going to be very difficult to beat the Republicans in 2024. I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I think one of my biggest fears, uh, unless, you know, Trump skips come skips out of the country when 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 he's uh, uh, found to be potentially you know uh, well, it would be hard for him to hide. I don't know where he could hide. I think his face is pretty well known around the planet. We don't have extradition from Saudi Arabia or Russia. That's where I that that's good point. Good point. Oh my goodness, it could, it could get very dramatic, couldn't it? That's uh, that that that's my fear is that uh, that that he'll you know he'll see the writing on the wall. He'll jump in his big, beautiful plane and, uh, and, and take off. And, 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 and ultimately the, the worst part about that is, is I think that there's the potential you will still have that, that, that group, that, that, that. Even if he was in Saudi Arabia or Russia, there would be people saying, well, you know, after the way we treated him, that's where he belongs. And probably he'll be fundraising from there. Oh. God bless him. Oh, well, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, it is very important that he have a fair trial. Agreed. That, that all Americans, no matter what our politics are, are very clear that, number one, uh, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, right? And that no one is above the law. So we need to, uh, all of us, support. Absolutely. Absolutely fair, agree. And a fair trial in that case. I absolutely agree. And, and every time I have any sort of discussion with someone that is of the mindset that, that Trump did nothing wrong and that Biden is the one, the, the Biden crime syndicate is what I hear over and over and over. 
And I say, look, I, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that that Biden's been perfect. I'm not going to sit here and say that Biden hasn't committed a crime because I don't know no, if he if happened? he has. If he has, then frankly, there should be an investigation. If you have enough evidence to support an investigation and that investigation has enough evidence to support an indictment, then do it. Well, I absolutely you know, believe that's how it should go. No, we have heard from the special counsel now in the case of Trump. We haven't heard from the special counsel in the case of the president, but um, we might someday. Who knows? It, it's entirely possible. And if there has been a crime committed and uh, a jury finds that that that, that crime uh, is if there is if there is enough evidence for a, a jury to say that, yeah, they're guilty of this, then then prison time it is, or, you know, or, or however the justice department handles that. But, you know, it, I, 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 I don't know how to convince someone that I am not so aligned in one direction or the other that I can't see the whole picture. And I'd really like for them to be able to see the whole picture. And, and it's hard to convince people sometimes, but well, I think at this point, it's not even about convincing. It's about us standing as Americans, whether you're liberal or conservative, Democrat, Republican, no matter what we are, we need to be in support of the basic pillars of the U.S. justice system and, and hope for both men uh, that justice is done. That's good for all of us. Agreed. Completely agree. Uh, Ms. Williamson, I am I am so thankful to have you here on the show. Is there anything that you want to you you want to, to discuss? Is that I've asked all the questions. Uh, but, um, is there anything that, that you, you would like to make sure that we know, uh, your website is marianne2024.com. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I can speak personally that if you email their campaign, if you email, uh, Ms. Williams campaign, they will respond. If you ask questions, they will respond. The website is fantastic. It has, it has, and it's updated constantly with everywhere where you, you, you're, you're speaking, um, you, I see your quotes on there. Um, the issues are well-defined. It's your campaign is, I, I think your campaign is doing everything that it needs to do to make sure to be out there. I, I think that, uh, it is unbelievably unfair that every time I see potential poll or polls on potential candidates in the democratic party, that your name is not listed. Yeah. That is absurd to me. Well, it is absurd and it's undemocratic. And that is a big issue. And you are in South Carolina, and South Carolinians, South Carolinians are the front line here, because yeah. you are now effectively the first primary state. And um, the president should debate his two opponents. Agreed. Um, the the party should be saying in the background, let it let the Democratic voters decide who is going to be the nominee. And after that, the party comes in. So it's very concerning to many of us that there is this effort on the part of the, uh, of the DNC um, to just shoehorn in the president. But I think we all need to make noise about that and say yep. that we want to see a debate. The, the majority of, America, of Democratic voters, likely Democratic voters, have now said they want to see a debate. And um, I hope that the South Carolinian voters, certainly every voter there recognizes the importance of, of their voice and of their vote. And I just appreciate being given the opportunity to say the things that I think are important and that I would do as president, uh, which are a different agenda from the president. The president has made some good incremental changes 
but we need a real economic U-turn. People need universal health care. People need tuition-free college and tech school. We need to cancel those college loans. We need free child care. We need paid family leave. We need guaranteed sick pay, guaranteed living wage, guaranteed housing. Those are the things which are considered moderate policies in every other advanced democracy, and they should be considered moderate policies here. And um, that is what I think is the agenda that will beat the Republicans in 2024. And most importantly, I think it's the agenda that will begin to repair this country. I completely agree. And you absolutely have an advocate in, in myself and, and our podcast as far as uh, pushing the issue of allowing for a debate. Um, you know, if, if the Democratic Party, for some reason, here in South Carolina doesn't think that a primary is necessary because they're just, like you said, going to shoehorn uh, Joe Biden in. Uh, that is something that I will actively protest because it is, like you said, absolutely undemocratic. It is not a representation of the Democratic Party. And and I'd like to point out that in the 2020 election, that Democrats were in support of the other two candidates that were running against uh, uh, President Trump at the time and funneling money into their campaigns. So what's, what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. And the fact that, that they are, uh, they're, the, you know, not that, not that I'm a huge, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Jr. Fan, because I, I think vaccines are necessary in, in some cases, uh, especially when it comes to the things of the viruses that we've managed to eliminate through vaccine. But, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, he should be allowed to also communicate his, uh, uh, communicate and debate on stage as well as you. Absolutely. So, uh, plus it makes for great television. <clears throat> and I, well, people say it would make it harder for the president. I don't think so. First of all, if, if the president can't handle Bobby and me, how's he going to handle Trump or DeSantis? That's number right. one. It will make him a better candidate. I think if in fact, he's the one that the voters choose, but also the Republicans had a whole lot of people on their stage in 2016 and they still won the presidency. So this idea that if you have more candidates, you have a diminished chance of winning just isn't true. The other thing I want to say about that is they, they, they've created this narrative that it's never done. Well, yeah. when I was growing up, uh, Eugene McCarthy and Bobby Kennedy Sr., Sr. Um, primaried Lyndon Johnson, and nobody thought it was strange. It's right. called democracy. Yeah, that, that, is, that is how it works. It, it, uh, the... There shouldn't just be a, a a a staple put in just because someone is the incumbent, That's uh, right. uh, you know. Because uh, not again, not that I dislike Joe Biden or anything like that. I, I I I I think that there was potential, but at the same time, I also recognize we're we're I, I, Joe Biden was the best selection between Trump and Biden, um, but that. Joe Biden is a statesman who has been in politics for most of his life. And Joe Biden is certainly susceptible and has been in the past of, of making decisions that were not in the best interest of the people that he represented in Delaware, but also not representative of the coal country as, as a whole being a Senator. You're, you're, you're one of 50 people that represents the state of Delaware, but at the same time, you're only one of 50 people that represents the entire country. And, uh, there, there have been things in his past that, that I completely, Clarence Thomas's, uh, uh, Supreme court selection, the, the, what, what they did to Anita Hill was just despicable. And 
and I, I don't know that Joe Biden's ever issued an apology or recognized that, but for me, that would go a long way for him just to say, you know what, I handled that poorly and, uh, and, and, and completely yeah. apologize for and what happened. More than that, there was the Iraq war and sure. the, all kinds of things. God bless him. Let's just uh, thank him for having beaten uh, the president in 2020 and wish him a delightful retirement. That would Yes. Be yes. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, Ms. Williamson, again, thank you very thank much for being you. on our show. I hope that I see you down in South Carolina. Oh, no. I, yeah. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to get with Vincent and uh, Duran and, and make sure that we, 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 uh, we, I, I would, uh, I would honestly, I would love to come out and speak uh, for you. Or if, if you need somebody to introduce you, I'd be more than happy. Great. Uh, I would appreciate that. I'll take you up on that offer. Our podcast actually just got uh, nominated for the uh, best local podcast in Columbia, South Carolina. So that that should carry some weight, maybe. Okay, awesome. <laughs> okay. good for you. All right. So Marianne Williamson, candidate for the Democratic nomination here in uh, uh, the 2024 election. Uh, if, uh, if, if just do us a favor, go visit the website, even you have doubts, or if you, if you have any, any, uh, any questions, visit the website, you can contact the campaign. They will, they will respond. They respond very quickly. And um, if they like it, they can donate. Yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> Donations are, uh, we're, we're going to put all the links in the show notes so that, uh, everyone, everyone knows where to go. I know it's an uphill battle, uh, but you are, uh, and I'm not just, I'm not just blowing smoke, but you are a fantastic speaker. Um, I have, I have watched hours and hours and hours of you speaking from 2016, uh, as well as I went back and did watch some Oprah shows. I, I was, I was never a huge Oprah fan. I I wasn't, I, I, I think my, my chromosomes sort of prohibited a lot of that. Uh, but, um, just those were, those were clearly some of the most popular episodes on, on Oprah and, um. I, I think that uh, I think that you're, you're you're making the right arguments and the issues. Uh, you know, when I first uh, when I first mentioned to the uh, the guys on the show that that, that we were going to uh, interview you, uh, they didn't know a whole lot of, uh, about you, and, and I said no, I, I didn't know a whole lot, so I had to go and look. But you know, if you go look at your website, well, you have, but uh, but if you're listening and you go listen, look at the website. You know, a lot of the issues are the same issues and the stance on those issues that we talk about on this podcast all the time. And I think that those are the things that are going to progress the country in the right direction to 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 become the, you know, to to move us in the right direction, to become the country that we want to be. We want to be the best country in the world. And I think that those are the things we need to do in order. And it's not a competition, but it is it is valid. We, we want to be in a position where we can uh, we can help other countries where we can help ourselves, but be be that democratic representation in the world of how well it can work. So thank you very good entirely very much for being on with us for having me on and i will see you in south carolina well try yeah absolutely and and try and get some rest and and congratulations again uh, on being a grandmother i i I don't i assume you're trying to get as much time as you can in but uh yeah absolutely i hope that uh i hope that you find time for rest as well i know a campaign is is relentless but you know uh so we can congratulations absolutely that's amazing so again mary marianne williamson author and candidate for president of the united states thank you very much for being on the show and uh i look forward to speaking to you again very soon 
Thank you. I look forward to it too. Thank you. The All About Nothing podcast is produced and engineered by me, Bear Gruber. Thanks to Cake for our intro music, Sick of You. You can follow everything Cake the Band at cakemusic.com. Thanks to Muff the Producer for our outro music. You can follow Muff on Instagram at Muff the Producer. Thanks to Trent Clark, aka DJ Lonzo. Join him weekly at the venue in Columbia, South Carolina for the Saturday All-Star Drag Brunch and Sundays at the Review Drag Brunch. You can also contact Trent for all your entertainment needs. Trent at theallaboutnothing.com and on Instagram, therealdjlonzo. You can also phone him, 803-262-7982. Thanks to Zach King. You can follow him on Instagram, at kingzach 7 and on Twitter, at carolinaking21. I am Barrett Gruber. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Barrett Gruber, or visit my link tree, slash Barrett Gruber. Want to support the show? Visit our page, theallaboutnothing.com, and become a member. There are several tiers available, including memberships that give you early access to episodes, as well as exclusive content. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. To find links to our social media, merchandise, and past episodes, as well as other details, visit theallaboutnothing.com. If you'd like to be heard on the show, you can call and leave us a message. Dial 803-672-0533. If the time between these episodes is more than you can handle, check out our partner podcasts. Zach and I host What the Pod Was That with Carrie Simmons. Visit whatthepodwasthat.com for links and details. Ami takes a deep dive down the rabbit hole in episodes of Welcome to Wonderland. Available on all of your podcast platforms. As well, you should check out DJ Lonzo's Top 5. Available on all of the podcast listening platforms. Please subscribe and share the show. If you're on YouTube, please like and hit the notification bell. The All About Nothing podcast is a product of Bear Gruber Entertainment and Media. Thank you for listening. Hey, Nothingers. The Fireflies kicked off the second half with back-to-back wins over the Fredericksburg Nationals. Columbia took home the first game 5 to nothing, earning their seventh shutout of the season before taking the second game on a walk-off balk 3-2. to the Bach was Columbia's second walk-off win of the series and their sixth of the season. On Thursday, Royer Layton had this walk-off hit to send the fans home happy in game two of a doubleheader. First pitch swinging lined into right field and that's the ball game. Royer Layton steps on first base to secure the single. Daniel Vasquez comes around and the Fireflies win it three to two. That'll cap off the first half for Columbia. Pitching has been the name of the game in the second half. After the shutout Friday, Shane Panzini had 10 punchouts in five innings Saturday before Oscar Rio closed the game out with four one-hit innings. The Fireflies wrap up their series with the Fredericksburg Nationals at five tonight, and after a pair of off days, open up another series at Segra Park with the Augusta Green Jackets. From Columbia, I'm John Kosin. This episode of the All About Nothing podcast is brought to you by Blank Canvas Brand. If you own a business, restaurant, or sports team and you're ready to shake things up with that new, unique image, you need to use Blank Canvas brand. Blank Canvas specializes in brand identity, including logos and graphics for business cards, flyers, banners, and signs. Blank Canvas offers printing services to help with your clothing needs. Look, when it comes to talent and service, there is no one better. For more information, you can search Facebook for Blank Canvas or you can email blankcanvas at theallaboutnothing.com. That's B-L-N-K-C-A-N-V-S at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com.